0: story 8 of cape cod stories this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by david wales cape cod stories by joseph c lincoln story 8 the meanness of rosie captain jonadab said that the south seas and them islands was full of queer happenings anyhow Said that Ares' yarn reminded him of one that Jewel Sparrow used to tell. There was a cockney in that yarn, too, and a South Sea woman, and a schooner, but in other respects the stars was different. Y'all know Wash Sparrow here in Wellmouth, says the cap'n. He's the laziest man in town. It runs in his family. His dad was just the same. The old man died of creepin' paralysis, which was just the disease he'd picked out to die of, and even then he took six years to do it in. Washy's brother Jewel, Julius Caesar Sparrow, he was as no account and lazy as the rest. When he was around this neighborhood, he put in his time swapping sea-lies for heat from the post-office stove, and the only thing that would get him livened up at all was the mention of a feller named Rosie that he knew while he was seafaring way off on t'other side of the world. Jule used to say that t'was this Rosie that made him lose faith in human nature. The first time ever Julius and Rosie met was one afternoon just as the Emily, that was the little and aft South Sea trading schooner Jule was in, was castin' off from the ramshackle landing at Hello Island. Where's Hello Island? Well, I'll tell you. When you get home, you take your boy's geography book and find the map of the world. About amidships of the southwestern quarter of it, you'll see a place where the Pacific Ocean is all broke out with the measles. Yes, well, one of them measles spots is Hello Island. Course, that ain't the real name of it. The real one is spelt with four O's, three A's, five I's, and a peck measure of H's and X's hove in to fill up. It looks like a plate of hash, and that's the way it's pronounced. Maybe you might sing it if twas set to music, but no white man ever said the whole of it. Them that tried always broke down on the second fathom or so, and said, Oh, the hereafter, or words to that effect. Course, the missionaries see that wouldn't do, so they twisted it stern first, and it's been hello island to most folks ever since. Why Jule was at Hello Island is too long a yarn. Biled down, it amounts to a voyage on a bark out of Seattle, and a first mate like yours, Airy, who was a kind of Christian Science chap and cured sick sailors by the laying on her hands. Likewise feet and belaying pins and axe handles and such. And according to Jule's tell, he did cure them, too. "'After he'd jumped up and down on your digestion a few times, "'you forgot all about the disease you started in with "'and only remembered the complications. "'Him and Julius had their final argument one night "'when the bark was passing abreast one of the Navigator Islands close in. "'Jule hove a marlin spike at the mate's head and jumped overboard. "'He swum ashore to the beach, and inside of a week he'd shipped aboard the Emily.' and twas aboard the Emily, and at Hello Island, as I said afore, that he met Rosie. George Simmons, a Cockney Britisher he was, and skipper, was standing at the schooner's wheel, swearing at the two Kanaka sailors who was hostin' the jib. Julius, who was mate, was roostin' on the lee-rail amidships, helpin' him swear. And old Teneth Van Dusen, a Dutchman from Java, or thereabouts, who was cook, was settin' on a stool by the galley door, ready to heave in a word whenever twas necessary. The Kanakas was doin' the work. That was the usual division of labor aboard the Emily. Well, just then there comes a yell from the bushes along the shore. Then another yell, and a most tremendous cracking and smashing. Then out of them bushes comes tearing a little man with spectacles, and a black enamel cloth carpet-bag, heaving sand like a steam-shovel and seemingly trying his best to fly and astern of him comes more yells than a big husky kanaka woman about eight foot high and three foot in the beam with a hand stretched out and her fingers crooked julius used to swear that the beach was all of twenty yards wide and that the little man only lit three times from bush to wharf and he didn't stop there he fired the carpet-bag at the schooner's stern and then spread out his wings and flew after it his fingers just hooked over the rail and he managed to haul himself aboard then he curled up on the deck and breathed short but spirited the kanaka woman danced to the string-piece and whistled distress signals captain george simmons looked down at the wrecked flying-machine and grunted Umph, says he you don't look like a man the girls would run after lady your wife The little fellow bobbed his specs up and down so says george how can i bear to leave thee eh well ain't you ashamed of yourself to be running off and leaving a nice handsome able-bodied wife that like look at her now over there on her knees a praying for you to come back there was a little pint making out from the beach close by the edge of the channel and the woman was out on the end of it down on all fours her husband raised up and looked over the rail she ain't praying he pants ducking down again quick she's a-picking up stones and so she was Julius said he thought sure she'd cave in the emily's ribs afore she got through with her broadsides the rocks flew like hail everybody got their share but captain george got a big one in the middle of the back that took his breath so all the way he could express his feelings was to reach out and give his new passenger half a dozen kicks but just as soon as he could he spoke all right enough you miserable forehead shrimp he says twould serve you right if i ove to and make you swim back to her blow me if i don't believe i will oh don't cap'n please don't begs the feller i'll be awful grateful to you if you won't and i'll make it right with you too i've got a good thing in that bag of mine yes sir a beautiful good thing oh well says the skipper bracing up and smiling sweet as he could for the ache in his back i'll help you out you trust your uncle george not on account of what you're going to give me you understand says he it would be a pity if that was the reason for helping a feller create there if you touch that bag i'll break your bloomin head here you hand it to me i'll take care of it for the gentleman all the rest of that day the captain couldn't do enough for the passenger give him a big dinner that took tunis two hours to cook and let him use his own pet pipe with the last of jules tobacco in it and all that and that evening in the cabin rosie told his story seems he come from bombay originally where he was born and innocent and trained to be a photographer this was in the days when these hand cameras were not so common as they be now and rosie his full name was clarence rosebury and he looked it had a fine one. Also, he had some plates and photograph paper and a jug of developer and bottles of stuff to make more, wrapped up in an old overcoat and packed away in the carpet bag. He had landed in the Fijis, first off, and had drifted over to Hello Island, taken pictures of places and natives and so on, intending to use them in a course of lectures he was going to deliver when he got back home. He boarded with the Kanaka lady at Hello till his money give out, and then he married her to save board. He wouldn't talk about his married life, just shivered instead. But what about this good thing you was mentioning, Mr. Roseberry? asked Captain George, polite, but staring hard at the bag. Jewel and the cook was in the cabin likewise. The skipper would have liked to keep him out, but there being two to one, he couldn't. That's it, answers Rosie, cheerful. What's it? Why, the things in the grip, the photograph things. You see, says Rosie, getting excited, his innocent dreamy eyes a shining behind the specks and the ridge of red hair around his bald spot waving like a hedge of sunflowers. You see, he says, my experience has convinced me that there's a fortune right in these islands for a photographer who'll take pictures of the natives. They're all dying to have their photographs took. Why, when I was in Hello Island, I could have took dozens only they didn't have the money to pay for em and i couldn't wait till they got some but you've got a schooner you could sail around from one island to another me taking pictures and you getting copra and-and pearls and things from the natives to trade for them. and we'd leave standing order for more plates to be delivered steady from the steamer at suva or somewheres and old on captain george had been getting redder and redder in the face while Rosie was talking and now he fairly bowled over like a tea kettle. Hold on! He roars. Do I understand that this is the good thing you was going to let me in on? Me to cruise you round from Dan to Beshibi, feeding you and giving you tobacco to smoke? Twas my tobacco. Breaks in Julius. Shut up! Cruising you round and you living on the fat of, of the of the water, and me trusting to get my pay out of ten types of Kanakas was that it was it why why yes answers Rosie. but captain you don't understand then says george standing up and rolling up his pajama sleeves there's going to be justifiable homicide committed right now joe said that if it hadn't been that the skipper's sore back got to hurting him he don't know when him and the cook would have had their turn at rosy course, they wanted a turn on account of the tobacco and the dinner, not to mention the stone bruises. When all hands was through, that photographer was a spiled negative. And that was only the beginning. They ain't much fun abusing kanakas because they don't talk back, but first along Rosie would try to talk back and then give them a chance. Julius had learned a lot of things from that mate on the bark, and he tried them all on that tin-top man afterward they invented more they made him work his passage and every mean and dirty job there was to do he had to do it they took his clothes away from him and while they lasted the skipper had three shirts at once which hadn't happened afore since he served his term in the sydney jail and he was such a comfort to em whenever the dinner weren't cooked right instead of blaming tennis they took it out on Rosie. by the time they made their first part they wouldn't have parted with him for no money, and they locked him up in the forecastle and kept him there. And when one of the two Kanaka boys run away, they shipped Rosie in his place by a unanimous vote. And so it went for six months, the Emily trading and stealing all around the South Seas. One day the schooner was off in an out-of-the-way part of the ocean, and the skipper come up from down below, bringing one of the photographing bottles from the copper bag see here says he to rosy who was swabbing decks just to keep him out of mischief what kind of a developer stuff is this has a mighty familiar smell that ain't developer sir answered rosy meek as usual that's alcohol i use it alcohol says george do you mean to tell me that you've had alcohol aboard all this time and never said a word to one of us if that ain't just like you of all the ungrateful beasts as ever I." when him and the other two got through convincing rosy that he was ungrateful they took that bottle into the cabin and began experimenting julius had lived a few months in maine which is a prohibition state so he knew how to make alcohol splits one half wet fire and the rest water they split for five days then the alcohol was all out and the emily was all in being stove up on a coral reef two miles off shore of a little island that nobody had ever seen before. They got into the boat, the four white men and the Kanaka, hoisted the sail, and headed for the beach. They landed all right, and was welcomed by a reception committee of fifteen husky cannibals with spears, dressed mainly in bone necklaces and sunshine. The committee was glad to see him and showed it, particular to Tunis, who was fat, Rosie being principally framework by this time wasn't nice or popular, but he didn't seem to care. The darkies tied him up good and proper, and then held a committee-meeting, arguing, so Julie's calculated, whether to serve em plain or with greens. While the rest was making up the bill of fare, a few set to work unpacking the bags and things, rosy satchel among but Pretty soon there was an awful jabberin'. "'They've settled it,' says George, doleful." "'Well, there's enough of tunas to last them for one meal if they ain't hogs. "'You're a tough old bird, Cookie. "'Maybe you'll give them dyspepsy so they don't care for the rest of us. "'That's a ray of hope, ain't it?' "'But the cook didn't seem to get much hope out of it. "'He was busy telling the skipper what he thought of him when the natives come up. "'They was wildly excited, and two or three of them was waving square pieces of cardboard in their hands. "'And here's where the Emily's gang had a streak of luck the kanaka sailor couldn't talk much english but it seems that his granddad or some of his ancestors must have belonged to the same breed of cats as these islanders for he could manage to understand a little of their lingo picture says he crazy-like with joy picture cappy picture when rosie was new on board the schooner afore george and the rest had played with him till he was an old story one of their games was to have him take their photographs he'd taken the captain's picture and julius and van duzen's The pictures was a rogues gallery that would have got em hung on suspicion anywhere in civilization but these darkies weren't particular anyhow there must have been good likenesses for the committee sees the resemblance right off they tink witchcraft says the kanaka want to know how make lord says george you tell em we're witches from witch center tell em we make them kind of things with our eyes shut and if they eat us we'll send our tin types to aunt em into their graves tell em that quick well i guess the kanaka obeyed orders for the islanders was all shook up they jabbered and hurrahed like a parrot house for ten minutes or so then they untied the feet of their sunday dinners got em into line and marched em off across country prodding em with their spears either to see which was the tenderest or to make him step livelier i don't know which julius said that was the most nervous walk ever he took said afore twas done he was so leaky with spear-holes that he cast a shatter like a skimmer just afore sunset they come to the other side of the island where there was a good-sized native village with houses made of grass and cane and a big temple-like in the middle, decorated fancy and cheerful with skulls and spare-ribs. Jules said there was places where the decorations needed repairs, and he figured he was just in time to finish em. But he didn't take no pride in it. None of his folks cared for art. The population was there to meet him, and even the children looked hungry. Anybody could see that having company drop in for dinner was right to their taste. There was a great chair arrangement in front of the temple, and on it was the fattest ugliest old liver-colored woman that julius ever see she was rigged up regardless with a tooth necklace and similar jewelry and it turned out that she was the queen of the bunch most of them island tribes have chiefs but this district was strong for woman suffrage well the visitors had made a hit but rosie's photographs made a bigger one the queen and the head man of the village pawed over em and compared em with the originals and powwowed like a sewing-circle then they called up the kanaka sailor and he preached witchcraft and hoodoo to beat the cause. lying as only a feller that knows the plates are warming for him on the back of the stove can lie finally the queen wanted to know if the long pigs could make a witch picture of her tell her yes yells george when the question was translated to him tell her we're picture-makers by special appointment to the queen and the prince of wales tell her we'll make her look like the sweetest old chocolate drop in the taffy shop only be sure and say we must have a day or so to work the spells and put on the so twas settled and dinner was put off for that night anyhow and the next day being sunny rosie took the queen's picture twas an awful strain on the camera but it stood it fine and the photographs he printed up that afternoon was the most horrible collection of mince pie dreams that ever a sane man run afoul of. Rosie used one of the grass huts for a dark room, and while he was developing them plates, they could hear him screaming from sheer fright at being shut up alone with them in the dark. But her Majesty thought they was lovely and set and grinned proud of them for hours at a stretch and the wizards was untied and fed up and given the best house in town to live in and captain george and julius and the cook got to feeling so cheerful and happy that they begun to kick Rosie again just out of habit and so it went for three days then comes the kanaka interpreter grinning kind of foolish cappy says he queen she likes you she likes you much lot Well, says the skipper, modest, she ought to. She don't see a man like me every day. She ain't the first woman, he says. She like all you gentlemen, says the kanaka. She says she want which husband? One of you got marry her. Hey, yells all hands, setting up. Yes, sir, she no care which one, but one white man must marry her tomorrow, else we all go chop plenty quick. Chop is kanaka English for eat. There wa'n't no need for the boy to explain. Then there was times. They come pretty nigh to a fight because Tennis and Jewel argued that the skipper, being such a ladies man, was the natural born choice. Just as things was the warmest, Captain George had an idea. Rosie says he. Hey says the others. Then Rosie? by well, course, Rosie's the man but rosy warn't agreeable julius said he never see such a stubborn mule in his life they tried every reasonable way they could to convince him pounding him on the head and the like of that but twas no go i got a wife already he says whimperin and besides cap'n there wouldn't be such a contrast in looks between you and her as there would with me he meant so far size went but george took it the other way and there was more trouble finally julius come to the rescue i tell you says he we'll be square and draw straws what Hollis george well i guess not and i'll hold the straws says Jewel, winking on the side so they drew straws and strange as it may seem rosie got stuck he cried all night and though the others tried to comfort him telling him what a lucky man he was to marry a queen he wouldn't cheer up a mite "'and next day the wedding took place in the temple "'in front of a wood idol with three rows of teeth "'and as ugly almost as the bride, "'which was saying a good deal. "'And when twas over, "'the three shipmates come and congratulated the groom, "'wishing him luck and a happy honeymoon and such. "'Oh, they had a bully time, "'and they was still laughing over it that night after supper, "'when down comes a file of big darkies with spears, "'the Kanaka interpreter leading them happy, says he. The king say you no stay in this house no more. He say, too good for you. Say, bye by when the place been clean up, maybe he use it himself. You got to go. Who says this? roars Cap'n George, ugly as could be. The king, he say it. The queen, you mean? There ain't no king. Yes, sir, king and queen now. Mr. Rosie, he king. All tribe proud to have which king? The three looked at each other. "'Do you mean to say,' says the skipper, choking so he could hardly speak, "'that we've got to take orders from him?' "'Yes, sir. King say you no mind. We make.' "'Well, sir, the language them three used must have been something awful, "'judging by Jules' tell. "'But when they vowed they wouldn't move, the spears got busy, "'and out they had to get and into the meanest, dirtiest little hut in the village.' one without hardly any sides and great holes in the roof, and there they stayed all night in a pouring rain, the kind of rain you get in them islands. Twent a nice night. They tried huddling together to keep dry, but twent a success because there was always a row about who should be in the middle. Then they kept passing personal remarks to one another. "'If the skipper hadn't been so gay and uppish about choosing Rosie,' says Julius, "'there wouldn't have been no trouble.' I do hate a smart aleck. Who said draw straws, sputters George mad clean through, and who held them? Eh, who did? Well, says Tinnis, I didn't do it. You can't blame me. No, you sat there like a bump on a log and let me and the mate put our feet in it. You old fat Ed. I— They pitched into the cook until he got mad and hit the skipper. Then there was a fight that lasted till they was all scratched up and tired out. The only thing they could agree on was that Rosie was what the skipper called a viper that they'd nourished in their bosoms. Next morning, twas worse than ever. Down comes the Kanaka with his spear-gang, and routs him out and sets em to gather bread-food all day in the hot sun. And at night, twas back to the leaky hut again. And that went not nothing to what come later. The lives that King Rosie led them three was something awful. Twas dig in and work day in and day out. Tunis had to get His Majesty's meals, and nothing was ever cooked right, and then the Royal Army got after the steward with spear-handles. Captain George had to clean up the palace every day, and Rosie and the Queen, who was dead gone on her witch-husband, and let him do anything he wanted to, stood over him and found fault, and punched him with sharp sticks to see him jump. And Julius had to fetch and carry and wait, and get on his knees whenever he spoke to the king, and he helped up again with a kick, like as not. Rosie took back all his own clothes that they'd stole, and then he took theirs for good measure. He made them marry the three ugliest old women on the island, his own bride excepted, and when they undertook to use a club or anything, he had them licked instead. He wore them down to skin and bone. Jules said you wouldn't believe a mortal man could treat his fellow creatures so low-down and mean, and the meanest part of it was that he always called them the names that they used to call him aboard ship. Sometimes he invented new ones, but not often, cause twan't necessary. For a good six months this went on, just the same length of time that Rosie was aboard the Emily. Then, one morning early, Julius looks out of one of the holes in the roof of his house, and off on the horizon, heading in, he sees a small steamer, a pleasure yacht, twas. He lets out a yell that woke up the village, and races headfirst for the Emily's boat that has been rowed around from the other side of the island, and laid there with her oars and sail still in her. And behind him comes Van Dusen and Captain George into the boat they piled while the islanders were getting their eyes open and gaping at the steamer there want not no time to get up sail so they grabbed for the oars she stuck on the sand just a minute and in that minute down from the palace comes king rosy running the way he run from his first wife over at hello he leaped over the stern picked up the other oar and off they put across the lagoon the rudder was in its place and so was the tiller but they couldn't use em then they had a good start but afore they got very far the natives had waked up and were after em in canoes here yeah, screams captain george this won't do they'll catch us sure get sail on her lively somebody take the tiller rosy being nearest took the tiller and the others got up the sail then twas nip and tuck with the canoes for the opening of the barrier reef at the other side of the lagoon but they made it first and just as they did out from behind the cliff comes the big steam yacht all white and shining with sailors in uniform on her decks and awnings flapping and four mighty pretty women leaning over the side all of the emily gang set up a whoop of joy and twas answered from the yacht saved hollers captain george saved by thunder and now says he knocking his fists together now to get square with that four-eyed thief in the stern come on boys him and julius and tunis made a flying leap aft to get at rosie but rosie see him coming jammed the tiller over the boom swung across and swept the three overboard pretty as you please there was a scream from the yacht rosie give one glance at the women then he tossed his arms over his head courage comrades he shouts i'll save you or die with you and overboard he dives, curse-splash. Julius said him and the skipper could have swum all right if Rosie had given the chance, but he didn't. He knew a trick worth two of that. He grabbed em round the necks and kept haulin' em under and splashing and kicking like a watermill. All hands was pretty well used up when they was pulled aboard the yacht. Oh, you brave man, says one of the women, stooping over Rosie, who was sprawled on the deck with his eyes shut oh you hero are they livin asked rosy faint-like and opening one eye good now i can die content livin yells george soon's he could get the salt water out of his mouth livin by the holy peter let me at him i'll show him whether i'm livin or not what ails you you villain says the feller that owned the yacht a great big englishman lord somebody or other the man saved your lives he knocked us overboard, yells Julius. Yes, and he done it a purpose, butters Van Dusen, well as he could for being so waterlogged. Let's kill him, says all three. Did it on purpose, says the Lord, scornful. Likely he'd throw you over and then risk his life to save you. Here, says he to the mate, take those ungrateful rascals below, give em dry clothes, and then set them to work. Hard work, understand? As for this poor, brave chap, take him to the cabin i hope he'll pull through says he and all the rest of the voyage which was to melbourne julius and his two chums had to slave and work like common sailors while rosie the hero invalid was living on beef-tea and jelly and champagne and being petted and fanned by the lord's wife and other women and twas worse toward the end when he pretended to be feeling better and could sat in a steamer chair on deck and grin and make sarcastic remarks under his breath to george and the other two when they was holystoning or scrubbing in the heat at melbourne they hung around the wharf waiting to lick him till the lord had them took up for vagrants when they got out of the lock-up they found rosie had gone and his lordship had given him money and clothes and i don't know what all julius said that rosie's meanness sickened him of the sea said it was time to retire when such reptiles was afloat. So he come home and married the scrubwoman at the Bayview house. He lived with her till she lost her job. I don't know where he is now. Twas pretty quiet for a few minutes after Jonadab had unloaded this yawn. Everybody was busy trying to swaller his share of the statements in it. I calculate Peter T. looked at the captain, admiring, but reproachful. "'Wixen,' says he, "'I didn't know "'twas in you. "'Why didn't you tell me?' "'Oh,' says Jonadab, "'I ain't responsible. "'Twas Jules Sparrow that told it to me.' "'Humph,' says Peter, "'I wish you knew his address. "'I'd like to hire him to write the old home ads. "'I thought my invention was a one, "'but I'm in the kindergarten. "'Well, let's go to bed before somebody tries "'to win the prize from Sparrow.' "'Twas after eleven by then.' so as his advice looked good we followed it end of story 8